All right, Genesis chapter 8, and we're going to be reading verses 6 through 12. Genesis 8, verses 6 through 12. Reading there, we read, And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven which went to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him in the ark. And he stayed yet another other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days, and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. Previously, we spoke to you just a couple of chapters back on Christ, the ark of our salvation, and of the things that were said and seen in the ark to preserve, deliver, save both Noah, his family, and the animals that were therein. And what a marvelous, beautiful picture that is of our salvation in Christ. And today we're following up a little bit on the heels of that with something that I believe is very, very special in the verses we read And we take the title in verse 9 concerning the dove in the phrase that speaks of the dove being sent forth, no rest for the sole of her foot. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. If you are a child of God and you roll that around just a little bit, that has a very, very special meaning and application to you. It's not just a detail that we read and pass on over as a part of a pretty little story, so to speak. No, it is a special image with a special meaning to the people of God. Because in this world, the people of God, like the dove, have a hard time finding any rest for the sole of our feet, don't we? The world doesn't give that to the people of God. However, our Lord does. And so while the text speaks of two birds, it's actually speaking of two groups of people, very similarly to what we spoke of in the previous message. There were two groups and two categories in that picture and illustration weren't there there were those that were in the ark and those that were outside of the ark and in the world there were those in the ark were preserved saved delivered by the ark those outside of the ark perished and we talked to you about that about what it means to be in christ and out of christ so there was no in between you either survived in the ark, or you perished outside of the ark. 
And likewise, as we look at the two birds, the ravens and the dove, I think we will come to the same conclusion that these two birds represent two groups of people. Even though there are some commonality and common ground which we will look at, they are distinctly different just as those in the ark were different from those outside the ark. One group was saved while the others were judged and perished. Likewise, we can see that same thing through these two birds. They were both in the same environment, but vastly different. So let's begin with a look or contemplating the world itself. This is the end of the flood. The ark has rested in verse 4, it says, upon the mountains of Arath. And again, I don't know if I remember mentioning this in the previous message, but what a wonderful picture that is. If Christ is the ark of our salvation, as we preached him to be in that previous message, what did Christ do after the work of redemption was done? Well, the Bible tells us throughout that he went to a place of rest, didn't he? He is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding by his presence. He's not having to work or do anything because the work of redemption is over, isn't it? The ark, as the waters abated, rested upon Mount Arad. It was no longer needed to float to preserve life, was it? I think that's a marvelous picture. So if I covered that already, you forgive me for repeating it. I don't think I did, so I just added two a little bit, I hope. That's a blessing. But we read here that, again, the waters are decreasing and I want you to contemplate just for a moment the world and the state of the world outside of the ark due to a universal flood. It is beyond our comprehension to say the least, isn't it? You know, a flood is a bad thing whenever, wherever it happens. We've seen, I'm sure all of us who've lived very long have seen floods of various degrees. And when the water is rising or the water is flowing, it is indeed a terrible thing. But in some sense, the worst is yet to come when the waters abate or recede. Isn't that true? It's like a tornado. It's terrible to be in it, but you don't see the destruction of it till it's gone and it's all over with. So as the waters abate, it reveals the muddy stinking, decomposing mess that a lot of water brings on plant life, animal life, and human life. And the Bible is very clear that in this flood, all life outside of the ark was destroyed. Well, that tells us a lot of dead things, doesn't it? A lot of decomposing things. And again, I don't have to elaborate. If you've ever seen it, you've ever smelt it, you've ever been in the cleanup after it, it is one of the nastiest things you can ever be involved in. The pollution, the corruption of decomposition of the destruction of floodwaters. And I'm dwelling on that point because I want to make a spiritual application since we're going to make a spiritual application about these two birds. That mess, whatever our minds can imagine, was tenfold worse, I'm sure, 
But that is a picture. And it reminds us that that came about because of one thing. What was it? Sin and God's judgment on sin. Now, sin makes a bigger mess than the flood does. It does it in an individual's life. It does it in a family. It can do it in a society. And it can do it in a nation, as the Bible clearly reveals concerning Israel. But make a spiritual application of the destruction of the flood. And that's the world we live in. It may not look like that to the human eye today. But to the believer... The believer clearly sees the pollution, the corruption, and the terrible destruction that sin brings upon this world. We live in a fallen world. The earth in and of itself is cursed in that regard, is it not? Those who live in it can't see it. Those who enjoy it can't see it. To give a kind of crude example, it's like having body odor. Everybody smells it but the person that has it. You know, a person that lives in certain things is immune to the smell, the sight, the whatever. Don't recognize it, but others do. So the world is corrupted and has been ever since our first parents sinned in the Garden of Eden. We have sin, we have suffering, we have death, we have destruction. All in effect of sin, just like the aftermath of the flood, it was brought about because of God's judgment on sin. One other thing I'd like to remind you very quickly here is, this is going to happen again one day. But it's not going to be a flood. God said to Noah that he'll set the bow in the cloud to remind us that he'll never destroy the earth again by water. And indeed he hasn't, and indeed he won't. However, one day, there will be another redeeming effect of this earth in the literal, physical sense, but it will be by fire. I'm going to quickly throw these scriptures out there to you uh, just to remind you of that. <clears throat> and one I want to start with is what Paul said in Romans 8.22 about how that the earth now is... Uh, groaning due to the corruption of sin. That verse reads, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. That's everything. When Adam and Eve sinned, the earth, you know, became a state of corruption due to sin. The animal world, the plant world, the human world, everything that God had created was affected by the fall. Now the actual way this is going to happen, and that verse there just tells us it's going to happen, and there is like a woman who is in labor pains travailing until she gives birth. This is going to happen according to Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 in the following manner. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So it's going to be by fire this time. And then we have the effect of that. 
As John saw it in Revelation 21 and 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Imagine what a world would be like without sin. That's a good thing to imagine because it's going to come to pass one of these days. And we're going to not only see it, we're going to be a part of it. It will supersede the Garden of Eden. Better than that. All right, that's what we have to look forward to as the people of God. A new heaven and a new earth, and it's not going to look like what Noah's earth looked like when he came out of the ark, much less what it was like while he was still in the ark when he sent the birds out. In fact, just let me make this point and I'll move on. You know, when fire burns something, it doesn't leave the mess behind that a flood does, does it? I mean, it pretty well, it destroys things, but it pretty well cleans up everything it destroys as it goes. And that's the whole idea of why fire's coming second and they didn't come first. So that's, the, that's by design. All right, let's look at the two birds here, the raven and the dove that Noah sent forth. Again, God put this in his word. God did it. It's important or it wouldn't be here. He sent out the raven first. But first of all, let's look at some commonality between the two before we look at the differences and the distinctions, shall we? Because this is also important. Uh, the, one of the first commonalities is they're both birds. I mean, they got feathers, they fly. So they have all those things in common that birds do naturally, even there, though there are distinctions among birds. And that's what we'll talk about but a lot of commonality just by being a bird. The most common thing in our text that we're going to be looking at is, is that they were both sent forth. Okay, They're both birds and they were both sent forth out of the ark by Noah. That's about all the commonality there is because everything else is going to be a difference and a distinction in the way that they look, in the nature of the two birds, their demeanors, their behavior, in their diet and their appetite and everything else is going to be a different distinction. However, consider this. Well, let's go ahead and discuss them a little bit. Let's look at this distinction. The raven, as we know it, or a crow, depending on where you're located in the United States or else throughout the world, is a large black bird. If you know much about them, then you know what I'm fixing to say about them. If you don't, I'm fixing to tell you. A crow is an aggressive bird. It is a noisy bird. It's not only noisy, it is nosy. It is a pestering thing. It is a thief. It is a scavenger. Its diet is carrion. And if you hold it up close and just look at the head and the eye, it's got a very cruel looking eye. I can speak from a little bit of authority. We had a pet crow when I was a boy. I've walked around a whole lot with that thing riding on top of my head. And they are all the things I just mentioned and uh, mentioned unto you. When Mose, Moses gave the ceremonial law or God gave the ceremonial law to Moses the raven was one of the birds that was deemed to be unclean because of the things I just described to you it's very nature the dove on the other hand 
as you know, depending on what kind of dove it is, is usually a light color, maybe pure white, maybe gray, or some combination of black and white, different things. But it is a small, light-colored bird, very timid, non-aggressive. It doesn't scream and holler and make a ruckus like a crow does. It has a very soft, comforting coo sound that's very pleasant to the ear. It is a seed-eating bird, very gentle, and it has, if you look at it closely, its head and eye a very soft and gentle eye. And under the Mosaic Law, it was deemed a clean bird, a bird that could be used in sacrifices and indeed many times was, especially for those that were poor. So, while they have a couple of things in common... They are distinctly different. And remember, we're talking about two different groups of people. Well, it's interesting. It says here that Noah sent forth both of them. The raven first and then the dove. And there's something unique about that phrase or word, verb there, sent forth. The first time you find sent forth in your Bible is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 23 where after the sin and transgression of Adam and Eve, God sent them forth out of the Garden of Eden. Not a good sending forth, was it? But that's the first sent forth there is. And then when the next time is in our text where we read God sent forth the raven and God sent forth the dove. And I want to make an application here that, again, it shows us that whether you're in the category of the raven or the dove, in the spiritual sense, we all fell in Adam and all went forth and went out of the garden and went away from God universally. Okay? The elect and the, which is an unscriptural word, non-elect, but you know what I mean, have all went away from God naturally because we fell in Adam. So, we all went forth in Adam from God. The Bible makes this abundantly clear like in Psalms 58 and 3. The wicked go forth as soon as they're born. Speaking lies. Go forth from the womb speaking lies. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Point being, there is a natural going forth of all sinners away from God, not to God. So as he sent these birds out into the world, uh, again, they both went forth. The key here, and if you get nothing else in this, hear this. The greatest distinction between the two birds is not in the description I gave you so much, not in looks, but more in their behavior. This is key. They both were sent forth. Upon being sent forth, one, the raven, went to and fro until the waters were abated off the earth. The other returned and was taken into the ark. That's the greatest distinction that there is to see and look at and apply in this message. Okay? 
Forget about the black, the white, one's pretty, one's ugly, one's noisy, one's quiet, and all that. Those things are secondary. It's the behavior of their nature that distinguishes them. What did the raven do, the Bible says? The Bible says, upon being sent out, it says there, verse 7, which went to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Now, again, I'm not going to go into a bunch of details again, but if you know what a raven is, it is a scavenging bird. It eats carrion. It eats dead things. It looks for stuff that is dead or dying. And then that's what it makes its diet upon. Now, the word here is very key. It says, went forth to and fro. It went out. It went from here to there to yonder and even came back. Fro. Meaning it didn't just stay away, but it would come back. What we do not read, like the dove, is that it ever came back into the ark. But it did come back. So if it came back to the ark, where was it? On the outside of the ark. It went forth, it went to and fro, it came back, but it didn't come in. There's a marvelous description right there of this bird's behavior and activity of lost sinners and their behavior in this world. Again, think about the world. The world could not have been in any better shape or of any more greater contents. In fact, let me just say it this way. The world was a paradise to the raven. The world after the flood had everything a raven loved. A lot of dead stuff. The raven was in paradise. It was not barely making it, it was in paradise. I mean, you can just about imagine, you know, it's like going to a buffet line or something. I mean, when there's so much there, you can't even get a taste of everything there's so much. You know, you don't know what to get, what to do. That would have been the situation with a raven in a post-flood environment. Not only adaptable or suitable, but loving every minute of it. This environment was suited to a raven. But as we're saying this, consider it's not suited to a dove. But the raven would have been comfortable there. It would have been enjoyable there. This was exactly where it would want to be. So no wonder it didn't come back in the ark. Why would it want to come back in the ark and be fed by Noah when there's better stuff out there for its nature and appetite? So it goes to and fro. And unfortunately, it's very sad that I have just described to you the life of sinners outside of Christ. The world is a very compatible place to those who are of the world, and we know that because we were of the world. Were we not? And we were very happy in the world and what the world had and what the world provided. And bottom line is, all of us, when we were lost, were going to and fro from sin to sin or from self to something this and something that, and we're very happy Indulging in all that, right? I mean, so a beautiful picture here of the raven 
going to and fro, living a lifestyle of sin, how long is that going to last? Eventually it's all going to come to an end, isn't it? All that stuff is going to finally decompose and there's not going to be nothing left. And eventually all the waters abated and guess what? New life came forth until the waters were abated and then there was a new green earth in creation which would not be nearly as satisfying to a raven. He's going to have to work then, wouldn't he? But while it was in a mess and carrion floating everywhere, he was very happy there. Now I want to make one more point about the raven that I believe is certainly applicable here, that it coming back to the ark. Again, let's picture again that image that the ark is Christ, the ark, Noah, the people of God inside there, uh, all the good things, all the things that have been preserved, and yet the raven doesn't come into it, but he's very content to perch on the outside of it. That can describe also perhaps you and I and a lot of people who are willing to dabble with religion, dabble with the Bible, dabble with God, ride along on the outside with religion as a crutch, but never submitting to the demands of the gospel and being brought inside. Imagine that. No doubt there were people drowning trying to cling on to the sides of the ark. I, the Bible doesn't say that, but uh, you know that's pretty well, I think, inferred, don't you? That uh, if they could get to it or tried to swim to it, they would be trying to cling on to it, but there's no life outside of the ark. Outside of the ark is not going to save you. We don't read in the Bible where anybody was delivered by holding on to the outside or riding on top, do we? No, it says everybody outside. So again, it's natural many times that a lot of people will profess to have religion, profess to believe things about the Bible, but in actuality they're still ravens by nature and they're only riding on the outside. They've never come into the fold. Well, the dove says, and this is the point we want to make, and I hope by now it's very precious to you, and if you're a believer, it is. The dove was sent out like the raven, but the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. That speaks volumes, does it not? Why was the dove not happy out there when the raven was? That environment was not suited to the nature of a dove. A dove is not a carrion eater, it's a seed eater. And all there was out there was dead stuff, not living stuff. No rest for the sole of her feet. You know, I don't. a dove can fly pretty fast. You try to hit one of them with a shotgun, they're fast. They hang out fly a raven in a heartbeat. But uh, again, my point is, this dove could have flowed, flown many miles, many circles, a lot of distance, and found no place suitable to land. The raven would, very happy to land on something dead and eat on it, not a dove. So the dove returns because this environment is not suited for this kind of bird. Now you relate to that, don't you, as a child of God? The old song says this world is not our home. It's not our home. 
It is beautiful in the sense of God's creation and we can look at the things God created even though sin has tainted them and we can see the beauty there and glorify and praise God. But the world system and what man's doing here and has done here and the way the world is carrying on due to sin is not a pleasant place at all. It's a very grievous place. And the child of God will be grieved every day because of this environment that we live in. Christ said it very plainly in the Gospel of John. Very simply, I know I'm just telling you what you already know, reminding you and relating this to you as a believer. But hopefully you'll find comfort by being reminded in that very fact. Like the dove, there's no rest for us in the world. So don't spend your time looking for it. Okay? Be the dove that just flies out a little ways and says, well, this is hopeless and comes back to the ark. Don't waste your time flying and flying around looking for something in this old world that's not there. Because it's not. John chapter 15 is where the Lord related to this at verse 18. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Apply that to the raven and what have you. The, ra- the, world, the raven was of the world because the world had the things the raven loved, not the dove. Verse 20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they also will persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Jesus laid it out very clearly there, didn't he? Not of the world. Uh, Turn over a page or two in the intercessory prayer in chapter 17, and it even becomes more clear, if it could, in verses 14 through 16. Speaking of those whom he are his, not only the twelve, or the eleven of the twelve, of course, uh, but of all believers here the application is, I have given them thy word, and the word hath, world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou, shouldest keep, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil, and I'll add, the evil that is in the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The Lord is making a clear distinction here, isn't He? Between His sheep and the goats. A goat will eat anything like a raven, won't it? Sheep can't do that. Get in trouble. And there's nothing worse than a Christian trying to find rest for your soul of your foot in the world. Let me tell you, it's not there. Don't waste your time trying. One more scripture on this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. 1 John 5, 19, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now again, that would have been the perspective if the dove could have talked when it came back. It could have told Noah, that place out there is not suited for me. It's a stinking mass of corruption out there. It's The whole world lies in stinking decomposition. That would have been what the dove would have said. The raven, on the other hand, would have given a different report, just like the spies did that came back to, to uh, Moses, wouldn't they? They'd say, oh, it's a wonderful place. <laughs> because it suits the one and is repulsive to the other one. 
Verse 20, And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and we are in Him that is true even in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. What does it say? That we are in Him. You got that? We talked about that last time. Being in Christ and out of Christ. So believers are, as you and I, we live in an ungodly, filthy, vile, corrupt, sin-polluted, condemned world. And it doesn't get better, it just gets worse. In the world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. But don't fret, don't worry, I've overcome the world. Christ gives us our peace, right? Christ is our ark. There's no peace, no safety, no contentment, nothing out there that will satisfy the appetite in the world to the Christian. Our appetites are satisfied with divine things. Let's read Psalms chapter 55, a few verses, shall we? Psalms chapter 55, reading at verse 1. David pretty well describes what I am saying to you today in this message. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. If he had everything he wanted... In the world, he wouldn't be talking to God. Supplication to God. That's dependence. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Because of the voice of the enemy, the world. Because of the oppression of the wicked, the world. For they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pain within me. The tears of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. There's a Christian in the world. That's what the world does for a Christian. Look at verse 6. Have you heard this? I'm sure you have. You've probably felt it more than you've read this. Oh, and I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. For then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the stormy wind and tempest. And that's exactly what the dove did because it couldn't find a suitable place that it could be content out there in that filthy world. What did it do? This is precious. This is beautiful. The Bible says it returned. It returned. No rest for the sole of its foot out there. No place it was content to land. But it knew a place where there was contentment. And that's where it come from. It came back to Noah. It returned. And when we talk about return, remember return in the Bible is the same thing as another word, repentance. Throughout the Bible, old and new, it is return. Return is the proper word because we all went away. We all went away, right? We covered that already in Adam. And then when we came into the world, we by nature and by choice and by our wills continue to go away and into the world just like the prodigal son did. Until he ended up in the hog troughs. We go away. The dove returned. And Peter makes a wonderful application to this. And this is precious. It's as precious as a phrase that's our subject. No rest for the sole of her foot. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 25. Speaking of believers he says. For ye were as sheep going astray. Yes we were. 
But ye are now returned under the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Read with me in our text again. What happened when the dove returned? What a beautiful, beautiful picture this is. It's in verse 9. Okay, why did she return? No rest for the sole of her foot. She returned unto him in the ark. Okay, you got that? Now, this is this is big difference. Distinction worth noting. The raven returned to the ark but stayed on the outside, never came in. The dove returned unto him in the ark. Why? Because the waters were still out there and it's a filthy place for a dove. A dove couldn't live out there. Look at this. What happens when Jesus says come and a sinner comes? Then he put forth his hand. That's number one. Think about that. Who's making the effort here? The dove's returning. The dove's coming. But who puts out the hand? This Again, I've got to dwell on this point just for a moment. Salvation is not us reaching to Christ. It's Christ reaching out to us. Salvation is of the Lord, not of the sinner. When Peter was sinking in the waves, who stretched out their hand? Christ stretched out His hand. What was Peter doing? Save me! Save me! Right? He, Noah, by the way, Noah's name, you remember Noah's name, what it means? Rest. Comfort. Rest. The ark was a place of rest. Noah is a type of Christ, you know. He put forth his hand and reached for her, tried to catch her. It's not what we read. He stretched forth his hand and took her. Christ don't try to catch sinners. He never has, he never will. Those whom he has purpose to save, his people, when he stretches out his hand, let me tell you, he's going to, as the old saying goes, get a hold of them. And I'll use that today. If Christ has saved you, there's a point in your life when he got a hold of you. It wasn't you reaching for him. He reached out and got a hold of you. I've heard that many times. I'm going to get a hold of you if you don't quit that. What did he do when he got a hold of her? Pulled her in unto him. Is that not precious? Who's doing the doing? Noah's the one. He didn't just open the window and let it fly in of its own volition. She came, but he reached out to her. I mean, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that there was a place for the bird to perch on the outside of the window and that's as far as she could get or the window was closed or any such stuff because it's not in the Bible. I'm going with what's here. And it's good. She returned. He reached out to her, grasped her, and pulled her in unto him. Where? Into the ark. If that's not a picture of salvation, I don't know what is. And then it doesn't end there with believers, does it? I mean, that's what happened to all of us who are saved. We heard come. We heard repent. We heard believe. And we were enabled by sovereign grace to do so. And in the so doing, He reached and secured and brought us into the fold. Did He not? 
How beautiful. And then it doesn't end there. Let me make this point. We'll press on and wrap this up. You should do that daily. So should I. When you pray, when we sin and need to repent, this is, this is a process. This is what we do all the time. When we say, Lord, forgive me, He reaches out and takes us in, doesn't He? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and to pull us in unto Himself. So, whatever problems we have, what do we do? We come to Him. He's the one that reaches out to us, brings us to His bosom, comforts us, solaces us in that regard. So beautiful, beautiful picture. Let's wrap it up with the second and third. The second sending that says that the dove comes back with an olive leaf plucked in its bill. Now remember, this window's in the top of the ark. Noah can't see out. That's why he don't know what's going on. That's why he's sending forth the birds, is trying to find out some way, somehow. So, there's something green and growing. What does that tell Noah? If the dove can land and pluck it off, then that means there's green plant life above the waters growing. Interesting, isn't it? And can't you imagine the joy he felt with that dove returning with that piece of green? I mean, he hadn't seen green in a long time. Here's something brand new. To me, this represents how that again, as believers, we are commissioned to go into the world, aren't we? I mean, the world, unfortunately, as we would say, is our place of ministry, isn't it? Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, we rescue the perishing. We sang a song in our hymn books about that. We're to take the gospel out in this old corrupt world to those that are perishing. Jesus said, John 15, 16, You didn't choose me, I chose you and ordained you that you should go forth, go forth, ascending forth, work, labor for me in my vineyard, and bring forth much fruit. Right? That's such a beautiful picture to me that the dove went out the second time being sent forth and brought back something. To who? Noah. You know, as a type of Christ. Why do we, why do we bring forth fruit? To pat ourselves on the back? To store up rewards in heaven? No, to the glory and pleasure of our Lord and Savior. And that's exactly what Christ said. I don't have time to go read it there. But that's bringing glory to God the Father when we do that. You know, let me give you a little tidbit of something. I don't know if... I've read this, that it says that an olive tree, a bush, whatever, can put forth a green leaf even underwater. Now, it may just be a scientific fact, but I believe if it can, there's something to that. You know what? Even in this old world, we can... that's, you know, surrounded and submerged in in the sin of this world is still possible for the people of God to bring forth that which is pleasing unto Him. That, 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 that's all a grace. Anyway, the third sending forth, the Bible says the dove didn't return. What's that tell us? What was out there then? No longer that rotten decomposing mess, but what? A new earth. A new world. I, I, who can imagine again? We couldn't imagine the corruption. Can you imagine what it would have looked like when Noah come off that ark? 
I mean, it must have been almost like when Adam woke up from the sleep. I mean, you know, woke up in the Garden of Eden when God breathed into his breath of life, the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And there it all was. I mean, bottom line, nobody ever saw what Adam saw and nobody ever saw what Noah saw, did they? Except those that were with him. But now the point is very simple. Now there's an environment and a habitat out there that's suitable for the dove. What did it say about the raven? He just went to and fro until... Until what? There's a new earth. Then it's not suitable for him. Guess what? Eternity is going to be suited for the believer. But it's not a place for the unbeliever. It's a place of torment for the unbeliever. I think of that scripture as I close here today. Let me see if I can find it. I'll read it to you and we'll close. Uh, concerning Abraham, chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he had after received for an... Notice that again. Go out. There's the going out again. He went out. And get this, boy, I, this will fit for some more, wouldn't it? Not knowing whether he went. The dove went out, didn't know where he was going either. Couldn't find the rest of the sole of his foot. Abraham didn't find no rest either, did he? By faith he sojourned. This world is not my home. In the land of promise as in a strange country. The world's going to be a strange place to you, child of God. It better be a strange place to you. If it's a familiar place to you, you better check out whether or not you're a child of God. If you can put roots down here, <laughs> maybe you're of it and not apart from it. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with whom the same promise. And here it is, verse 10. He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That dove went out the third time, didn't come back. It had found a place suitable for it to abide, hadn't it? And likewise, so it is with us. What do we do? We're looking for the same thing Abraham looked for. We're looking for that time when the sin of this world and those in it will be judged and taken away and removed. And guess what? When we leave here, where are we going? We're going to a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Where do you see yourself today? Can you see yourself as a raven? The behaviors and traits of that? If you're a child of God, you can. Because that's where we were. God saved us from all that, didn't He? God had made a difference in us. He gave you a divine nature when He saved you. And you quit acting like a raven and start acting like a dove. And now you got something to be looking forward to. And every day we can go to our Lord and Savior. And every time we go to Him in the right way, in the right manner, you know what He's going to do? He's going to reach out His hand for us. You remember when Esther went into the king? You can't go in uninvited. He can strike you dead. She said, if I perish, I perish. I'm going. We don't have to worry about that, do we? We can come boldly to the throne of grace knowing that our Lord will receive us every time. What a blessing. What a blessing. I hope you see yourself today as that dove. I hope you see Noah as Christ. I hope you see the ark as Christ. And I hope you see Him reaching out to you and taking you in unto Himself as the grace that saved you and that continues to keep you in fellowship with Him. May God bless this to your soul.